welcome to another episode of the Big Picture Business Podcast. Thanks so much for joining us today. We have a very special guest with us, Victoria Song. She is a leadership advisor. I'm so excited for you guys to get to know her. I mean, this woman, you just won't believe all of her accomplishments. I was reading her bio, I was like, what? <laughs> I'm so excited to talk to her and just looking through her social media. So let's just jump right in and let you know a little bit more. Victoria Song is, like I said, a leadership advisor to visionary founders, billionaire CEOs, and celebrities, a Forbes 30 under 30 investor, and Yale and Harvard alumna. Victoria has helped her clients achieve multi-billion dollar exits, write patents in 24 hours. Okay, we got to know more about that for sure. Uh, And so much more. She is the author of the new book, Bending Reality, to help readers tap into their hidden potential so they make the impossible probable by accessing extraordinary, seemingly supernatural abilities they didn't even know they had. And I just have to say that I've seen the cover of your book. The design is brilliant. Did you come up with that? Oh, thank you. No, I didn't. But I, I got to work with some really great, well, Forefront, for instance, is the publisher and they have a good cover artist. But yeah, I saw so many versions and this was the only cover that actually captured what the book is about, which is nice when it does that. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm excited. Excellent. Well, thank you so much again for being here. I mean, obviously your bio, wildly impressive. And Forbes 30 under 30, I mean, venture capitalist, helping billions transform empty success syndrome into meaningful legacies and true happiness. Mm. How did you get started? I have to know. (laughs) How did this passion happen? (laughs) Yeah. So the passion developed, you know, recently since probably 2016, but I think it was seeded because I was born into a family of entrepreneurs. So I've always been around it. My mom and dad met in preschool and they start companies together. And so they've been in it forever. And I feel like I was just born into, you know, MBA school at the dinner table, listening to them debate and disagree (laughs) on business strategy and, Uh, They work in fintech. So I was around that. And my dad's an engineer. So I've always been around these very engineering-minded, analytical, yeah, entrepreneur types. And then I entered venture capital, as you saw, very young. I was 23 years old when I um, joined venture capital. And I was really able to use one of my superpowers, which is being a good read of people. And that comes in very handy now in my work as a leadership advisor. But at the time, I was using it to pick founders that we could bet, you know, on their idea, on them. And that served me well in the first um, year of my working in venture capital. I invested about a million dollars into a company called Crashlytics, and that was uh, acquired by Twitter. And it ended up returning over $40 million to our fund. And so I've been able to make some people a lot of money. And uh, that's what landed me on the Forbes 30 and a 30 list. So I did that for a few years um, before realizing that while um, making money and investing money was fun, it still lacked some of the more mission legacy oriented quality that you just mentioned in the bio. And so I tapped in and connected to my own mission and sense of purpose in this lifetime. And that's what led me to transition over to supporting entrepreneurs more deeply on not just having epic success, but also on finding deep fulfillment in their careers as well. Hmm. And in turn, I'm sure you find a lot of fulfillment in helping them. Right? Oh yeah. I'm like so lit up after every call. It's, it feels like, you know, the greatest high as a VC, like chasing an exciting deal or having a huge exit. I feel like I get that high, like every hour of my current job. How fun. <laughs> I'm wildly impressed by you. Aww, <laughs> I just have to say, you. Truly. Yeah. 
I did a little bit of, I shouldn't say stalking because that has like a negative connotation, but I definitely, I very much went through your Instagram because I saw your beautiful like feed. I was like, wow, there's so many cool quotes here. So much going on. And there's one that I saw. It says those with the greatest wounds have access to the greatest gifts. And I, not to pry, and I know we just met, but I'm curious if there's a story behind there. Something. Mm, something that, you know, might've connected you to, to talking about that. Because when I read your post, I was like, I want more. So can I have more? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I'm glad that that resonated with you because it's such an interesting phenomenon that I found both personally, but also in my work with the founders that I work with is that we've all been through something, you know, all of our personal stories, maybe it's wounds, maybe it's trauma, maybe it's just, you know, fear, parents, marriage ending, like whatever it was, there's some version of hardship. And what I found is that if we can move into the gift of what that event did, whether it built our character, it shaped who we are, what we care about, our empathy, it really does become a superpower when we can um, really heal and alchemize it into our gift. When I what I've noticed is that some entrepreneurs are still really living in the wound of that. And you know, I know you asked me kind of personally, but yeah, I think for me. I grew up really experiencing what I'm trying to help founders not do, which is this empty success syndrome in my family, right? Like they came here as immigrants from Taiwan and they really struggled to make it here. I think being an entrepreneur wasn't by, it wasn't cool and sexy. It was because they couldn't figure it out. There was really no other way. They barely spoke English. It was hard to fundraise. They weren't able to raise capital. So it was just a lot of struggle. And, you know, they grew up um, poor themselves. So there was a lot of needing to, Uh, really prove something, you know, prove something to the world, prove that they matter, prove that they have something worth offering and having their voice be heard and valued enough, you know, which really didn't happen when you barely speak English as an immigrant here. So I'd say that I felt firsthand the experience of being in a family that was really distracted by work and really distracted by achieving and really distracted by really caring a lot about the external world and success and what achievement sounds like and looks like to everybody else, mm-hmm. which is why I was so good at it. Like I went to Yale, I went to Harvard Business School, I did all the things that in my family system was considered like, yeah, well done. You know, you get applause for that. And the more I achieved, the emptier I felt. And I realized that we're kind of looking in the wrong places for the happiness and the fulfillment and the joy that my family had really didn't know how to find for themselves, right? Like they were more comfortable being successful and, and throwing themselves into work than they were connecting in the family relationship and systems. And I think that's actually very common of high achieving adults in general, you know, who it's kind of easier to put their time and energy into where they derive their sense of self-worth from, which for a lot of people is making money. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, yeah, unfortunately it's a, it's a bit of a rat race and it can feel like you're just on a never ending treadmill and there's no pot of gold at the end of that rainbow. And so then at some point it sort of feels like the blind are leading the blind. And that's what I came from. I, I grew up in that. And then I saw firsthand that these were my classmates. These were my friends. These were my clients, even successful founders who become billionaires, how empty they felt and how in their interpersonal relationships, intimacy was really hard. you know. And I just saw the things that I kind of grew up recognizing in everyone around me. And that's when I yeah, really did the internal work to kind of detox from <laughs> caring a lot about external validation and, and get myself out of the rat race and start connecting to my own 
essence and my inner voice of what I think is truly who I am, not who I've been programmed to be. And in that process, I really discovered that I have a real calling and a real gift for connecting others more and more to their truth and to their essence and to what they're really here to do on this planet. And, and that's why I really work with mission-driven founders, you know, entrepreneurs who are doing something I want to see more of in the world. But anyway, that's kind of a long answer to your question of, yes, I saw it with my life, with my family, and I'm in some ways keeping the clients I work with from um, the same path that I think can leave a lot of us, you know, either in broken marriages or yeah, just not living the life that we really dreamt of, you know, living. It's really beautifully said. You hit so many key points. Like for example, when you said like, when is enough enough, right? It's Mm -hmm. like, at, at what point are you at that level where, you know, like, like you said, a types overachievers, right? It's like, at, at what point, And I know for myself, I have a a young daughter and for me, I have to look at her and say, you know, I don't have to take that meeting. Like for me, enough is playing blocks on the floor with her today, but it's hard going through that transition, right? When you are, are faced with like, when is enough enough? Do you have any strategies or something that you do that our listeners might have a fun takeaway from like, actually, again, based on your Instagram, (laughs) maybe on your Instagram. I saw that you do something on the weekends called positive focus. Could you walk us through that a little bit and and how you do that and what that's all about? Yeah. So one of my very dear friends, Jennifer Hootie, learned this from Dan Sullivan, who I think came up with this concept, positive focus. And the idea is that um, either on Sunday or any day of the week where you can be reflective, you just look back and think about, okay, what are the top 10 highlights from this past week. Cause what happens for us overachievers is that we tend to be critical. We tend to judge ourselves and we tend to notice on what's missing. Okay. I have this, but this is still lacking or I want that, not this. And it's like, we're always looking for what's missing and creating that sense of lack of like, I'm not grateful for what I have. Even though if I truly am honest with myself, I realize I I'm, I have things that I used to want, so I should feel grateful, but instead my eye goes to the next problem to solve or the next thing I want. And so positive focus is really in training your eyes to look for, well, what were the wins? What are you really proud of? What are you like lit up about that happened this past week? And then to really double down on what's working. Cause again, like I noticed so many overachievers want to, you know, focus on their weaknesses or like strengthen these bolster, these places that they feel like they're inadequate and I think really leaning into our superpowers is much more effective. And so being able to reflect and highlight what worked and then what made this possible and then a next step that you can take. So it's really simple. You can write like one sentence and, and then you have not only your gratitudes essentially for what went well, but then you also have a roadmap of like, oh, I want to do more of this. Like this seems to really work well, you know, and then you start to have like an action plan for your following week. And then related to that, I think... Um, A lot of us overachievers like to have a measuring stick. We always want to know how we're doing and we don't always get it when we're entrepreneurs. And so the second part of that exercise is to figure out the categories that most matter to you. So for me, that might be my health. That might be my romantic partnership. That might be my sense of community. It might be uh, my business. You know, how did my business do this past week? And then I would rate how my category, how that category performed on a, on a scale of one to 10. So I would say, okay, like this is pretty good. Like I, for instance, my health, I didn't work out as much as I wanted to this week. So I'm going to say a seven, cause I still ate well, but you know, this week a 10 would look like showing up to my workouts and really being all in, not kind of like just barely getting by so I can check off that I did it, but really showing up and being all into my exercise 
picking foods that I'm, you know, that are healthy and that taste good. So I can start to map out, not just like what's working, but also creating a vision. Cause I think that's also missing often from the grind is like really getting clear on what is the vision? Like, what do you want? What does a 10 look like in your life in this area? You know, sometimes again, we get focused on what's missing and we're just moving away from what we don't want. But what I hope to help my clients do, and I do in my own life is like, how can we run as fast as we can toward our dreams as we run away from what we don't want to happen. (laughs) You know, how can we really be putting that fuel towards our vision and what we want to create versus trying to avoid what we're afraid will happen? You went to Yale and Harvard and most people don't go to both Yale and Harvard. Yeah. What? (laughs) You couldn't decide like one was not good enough. (laughs) Talk about overachieving. (laughs) I just wanted to know a little bit more about that and what brought about that decision and what did you feel like why you needed to do that? Yeah. You know, I would say that before I started receiving coaching myself, I was pretty unconscious. You know, I was really a byproduct of like what my family valued and what I was told mattered and what got me applause. And I think coming from a Chinese culture and then coming from a high achieving family I, yeah, I think like it was just planted in my head at an early age. Like I got straight A since I was in sixth grade, you know, like it was like not, it it happened organically, but then once it happened, it felt like, well, then that's my new normal. And if you don't get straight A's then you're clearly not performing, you're not trying your hardest. And so in some ways it's like, you know, it's the tip or how high can you go? It just gets smaller, how much more you can go up. And I think in some ways I, set myself up at an early age to feel to my parents, at least that like, Oh, okay, great. She got straight A's. Now that's all we expect. And, you know, getting into Yale was something that I remember not even really having a say in. It was like, I got into all my schools and then my parents kind of debated where I should go. And then based on what they thought was best, that's where I went, you know? And I think um, that's probably an extreme example of not feeling like we're, we're listening to our own voice, you know, we're kind of following around what our family wants, but I kind of continued on like that in in the world. You know, I went to Yale and then tried to intern for, I went to Goldman Sachs after, which is like a big bank, you know, and it's not something that anybody grows up thinking they want to be when they grow up, but it was just what everybody around me prided or or coveted. And, uh, you know, this is actually a story from Tom Sawyer that I talked about in the book, The Adventures of Tom Sawyer, where if you remember, he had to paint this white picket fence for his his aunt. Do you remember the story? Yes. He got in trouble and he had to paint this white picket fence and he was upset because he wanted to be in the swimming hole, but then he had to paint this fence. He's like, you know, punishment. And then his friends start making fun of him and they're like, oh, haha, we're all playing and you have to paint this fence. And then he cleverly comes up with the idea to say, well, you know, you're not allowed to paint this fence. Like this is a coveted opportunity like that I get to have. Holly won't let you do it. You know, no one else is allowed to do it. Only I'm allowed to do this. And then before you know it, all his friends are like, wait, I want to paint the fence. Like, let me paint the fence. And then they start giving Tom like all their marbles and cat with one eye and like all their treasures in order to get to paint the fence. And I feel like that was who I was. Like I was, without realizing it, I was just coveting whatever was hard to get, whatever was exclusive, whatever everybody else was chasing. Even if there was no real fulfillment or no joy, you know, at those jobs, it didn't even cross my mind. I was just like, oh, I need to do what's hard to get. So yeah, I, I would say it was really unconscious for me, of me to pursue those things. 
And then, I, and I really didn't wake up until like the summer between my business school years. So it was at Harvard Business School that I hired my first coach. And I really think like my life changed from that moment. You know, that was 2013. And all of a sudden I went from this autopilot, unconscious kind of sleep, half asleep person. He was like doing well by all external measures, but was pretty like disempowered in terms of like, I wasn't living my life. I was living the life that I thought I was supposed to live. And then when I hired a coach, I started to figure out, well, what do I want? And who's the person I dream of becoming? And what are my dreams? And what lights me up? And what, you know, what brings me joy? And all these questions that like never seemed relevant, you know, to ask before um, I started really going deep into. So that's, yeah. So that's why I, I went to those schools and then now I'm recovering uh, overachiever and I'm, uh, yeah, guiding my clients to do the same. You know, I really want people to know that there really is no pot of gold at the end of that rainbow. And it's easy to spend our whole lives and many lifetimes chasing something that ultimately just doesn't matter. Unless you're guiding people to their purpose, right? Like you're doing. Yeah. Yes. And even, even with, you know, it's funny because even with something that feels like it matters, I have to remember to hold it lightly. You know, like there are some people in this profession that feel like, oh my God, I need to save the planet. And there's like this weird sense of urgency and fear of like, and, and I think it comes back to the sense of like, well, I won't matter if I don't have this big purpose and impact, you know? And so I think that anything held so tightly is actually not coming from truth. It's coming from, again, like maybe some ego, some fear of not mattering, some, some connection to feeling important because you think you're saving the planet, you know? So even though I love what I do and I think it's important work, I do I keep the perspective that like at the end of the day, it's choose your own adventure. And as much as I would love everybody to do what they love, it's not my choice and there's kind of no right and wrong, you know, it's, it's, what, it's up to you and, you know, whatever you want to do. And I don't need to make it right or wrong. Yeah. yeah. You're, you're personally practicing what you're teaching and <laughs> that's everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That. The best way to hold yourself accountable is to teach this. And then you feel like you're a hypocrite if you don't live what you say. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. what was, when you decided to get a coach, what was the thing that actually stood out to you that said like, I need to actually get a coach because there had to be like some thing that happened right? You didn't just wake up one day and said, oh, I need a coach. Like that doesn't usually happen. It's like, there's some moment where you're like, oh, like something's not right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'll answer this from my point of view than what I see from when clients reach out. So I would say that there's always like the reason you think you're reaching out. And then there's like the real reason that you kind of uncover like, oh, that's what this is about that's not what I thought I was getting, you know? So a lot of my clients come to me for like a tactical problem. And that's what I was looking for. I remember middle, you know, middle of my two years in business school, I thought I could be a better speaker. Like I need to work on my presentation skills. I'm not as confident as I want to be. I want to, I want to have more presence, whatever, you know, that was my story. So I started asking like my consulting friends who give presentations all day, every day, like, oh, do you have a speaking coach? Do you have a presentation coach? Like, I, I want to improve my speaking skills. And then I ended up asking a, a fellow venture capitalist who works at Forerunner Ventures. Her name is Yuri Kim. And she was like, oh, I, I have a life coach. You know, I, I don't have a speaking coach, but I have a life coach. And that was the first time that word was on my radar. I was like, what's a life coach? And, uh, and she told me how it was life-changing. And, and so I had a session with her and very smartly when I asked her, like, is this going to help my 
speaking ability. She was like, oh yeah, for sure. Like we're going to work on, you know, your confidence and your empowerment, which will ripple out into how you present yourself. And so I was like, okay, sure. I'll sign up. So that was what I thought I was getting into. And then very quickly, my world was turned upside down when I realized like, oh my gosh, I had no idea how many patterns and programming I was, you know, running unconsciously and how even like I was in a school environment and I could see the whole cool girl thing happening where I was like wanting to fit in and be included with people that I didn't actually connect with, but I cared so much what they thought about me. And, and then I was, it was also showing up in my relationships. I was dating people who were honestly like quite narcissistic and I didn't see it at the time. And I just felt, yeah, I just felt like, oh gosh, what's going on? Like, I can't figure out so many things that are happening in my life and, and coaching really helped with. And then to answer your question from why clients find me, I would say what I have seen is that most people to your point are driven by some pain in their life. Like there is like a real problem that they're ready to invest the time, money, and energy into relieving. And I think, unfortunately, there are very few people who are motivated by the vision of, or the Island of like how much better things could be. You know, there's very few people that are motivated just by the idea of like, oh, I want to grow and be my best self. Like you're seeing it more and more. And I think you guys probably are one of those who who are um, really inspired by growth. But for the most part, for the worlds that I operate in, whether that's startups or finance or tech, they usually don't really pay attention until something's falling apart. And there's like a real pain point, whether it's relationship or it's a company or family or kids, but there's, or their health, you know, there's something that feels like they can't, they can't, it's like too much for them and they're, and it's intolerable. And that's the point that they finally reach out to get some support. And so, so yeah, that's what I've noticed. So, yeah, it's almost like there's two types of people. There's the people who they haven't done the work and, you know, but are quite successful and then they need to do the work, right. Mm -hmm. The internal work. And yeah. Like, do the internal work to become successful. And, yeah. And that's about it. Right. <laughs> and it's totally. like, where are you at? <laughs> and I think for both Dominica and I, we had to do the internal work first. Mm. And that was how, what led us to success. I'm still working it every day. Yeah. It, it's <laughs> yeah, continue, every it's day. a process, but I don't think if I didn't do the internal work first, there's no way I could have been ready for you know, being the person that I needed to be. Mm. Yeah. Right. And there's no way I could have been able to be that the leader. Like it just wouldn't have been possible. Yeah. I agree with you. It really is about who you're becoming at the end of the day. You know, like I think prior to the work, you know, we look at Yale, we look at Harvard and we're like, wow, you succeeded. But now I feel like success and failure is like kind of irrelevant. It's more like, who am I becoming on the other side of doing the thing that I'm excited about doing? And that's the part that's worth celebrating. You know, it's like, who are you becoming? You're becoming the person you always dreamt of being, you know, and that further alignment to being able to be fully expressed and to be free to be yourself. Like that's truly what, you know, the goals should be that we're, we're, we're seeking, you know, but sometimes we look in the wrong places for it. Yeah, I agree. And what you said absolutely rings true for my business as well. When people come to us, it's it's for like a tactical reason. It's like, so I need some immediate help right here, right now. And then it always turns into like, well, let's pause here and let's actually start to dig a little deeper. What's really underneath all of this? Yeah, absolutely. Don't just stick a bandaid on it. <laughs> you know, like let's totally. get rid of it. Yeah. yeah. So much of it is also like when it comes to making money, like sometimes we think that's just 
tactics or strategy, but it's like, no, it's a mindset, you know, like, how are you coming from this place of abundance and being all in and investing in you, your business and, and seeing it ultimately as like, well, why, why does this matter to me? Right. It's not just about hitting a sales number, but really like what's the impact of hitting that sales number and, and, and yeah, being really excited to be investing in your business and not seeing it as just cost and expenses, but being like, no, this is your life that you're investing in. So anyway, I'm sure that that's a huge part of what, why your clients continue to do work with you as they see it that way. Same for you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> We're blessed. That's for sure. It's, it's, uh, it's just nice to, to speak with someone like yourself, like-minded entrepreneur, right? It's always, yeah. it's always sweet and we can connect in this way. Now, part of your bio that I read, there was a mention about supernatural abilities that you help people kind of navigate through this and help them cultivate it. Can you share with us what might be the four levels of motivation for creating your own map to access personal expansion and success? Mm, a great question. Yeah. I was going to say like, that's the end of the book. How am I supposed to get there? Oh. And like, <laughs> well, then I don't want to give away anything. <laughs> no, no, it's great. Cause I, one of the, okay. So I'll break down this question a little bit. So one of the first things is supernatural. I call it seemingly supernatural because I believe we don't really know our full capacity of like, just how powerful our consciousness is. You know, I think there's science now that's trying to understand what is consciousness? Does it exist outside your body? Does it exist in your brain? Is it beyond your brain? Is it the source of your brain? You know, so there's a lot of research going into this. It's really fascinating. And I believe the capacity of our consciousness is so much more powerful than we realize. It's able to do things that appear supernatural to our current understanding. And so this is where I think some things that might sound a little woo in the spiritual community, like manifestations or psychic downloads or creative downloads. And you know, there's, there's countless actually documentation of geniuses and fiction story writers who, who reported as like, I got a download. It's like, I woke up from a dream and I had the solution or the story came through. And it was almost like Elizabeth Gilbert talks about how she, you know, there's an example of how the person had to write the story almost backwards or the poem backwards. Cause that's like the order that they were trying to re- remember it and catch it. Um, so things like creative downloads, like that patent written in 24 hours or uh, the book came as a download. I wrote it in a week being able to manifest. So one fun example is that the company Honey in my book, one of the case studies, they uh, recently got acquired by PayPal for $4 billion. And one of the manifesting stories behind that is that uh, when he came to me, he was living with a lot of contraction, which is, you know, a place where our nervous systems are brutally tight. And then there's a lot of constrictive energy patterns in our bodies. And we're kind of in that like vigilant state of almost being ready for the other shoe to drop. Like that's how he found me. And then through our work together, we, we unraveled his nervous system. We expanded his consciousness. We started to get him to live in and stabilize these states of expansion that I feel are where we receive our inspiration and creativity and solution set. Um, and uh, in this state, I asked him to walk every day, every morning to his office with a pep in his step, confident, excited, proud of what his company had built. And I asked him to envision the PayPal engineers being so impressed by what he'd built. And he did this every morning for three weeks. And um, and we, we, I, I, all my clients are engineers. So I'm really mindful of how I communicate, why we're doing what we're doing. And I try to make it sound really practical and not magical. So it was very much like, oh, let's get you used to your confidence and, you know, all of that. So he was embodying his confidence as a leader. 
And then three weeks, three weeks after doing this meditation, he got an offer to be bought by PayPal and he was completely surprised. And he was like, I was planning on taking my company public. Like, oh my gosh, I don't know if I should accept this. And then through our, you know, our work together, we decided whether he should sell and at what price. And then he ended up rejecting their first offer and they came back with an offer to acquire for $4 billion. And so, yeah. And when I told him like, Hey, we were actually, you were doing like a visualization to manifest this from this place of expansion, you were tuning into this. He was, so we live in a simulation. <laughs> it was his <laughs> response to this. Um, but like, these are the kind of crazy results that, you know, really sound crazy when we just talk about in the spiritual context, but I've been able to bring these, you know, codes or whatever you want to call it, ancient wisdom or real magic, whatever you want to call it. I've been able to bring it to these very tangible, concrete business kind of cases that we rarely see, you know, the spiritual world combining with like wealth and success and those sorts of metrics. So that's an example. And yeah, so visualizing things, manifesting things, a fun example for me personally is that when people ask me why I coach entrepreneurs, I say that I like to find the the Elon Musk's of the world or like the people who are uh, creating these huge visions and, um, you know, like almost sci-fi level visions. And I, I went to, anyway, this might be a long story, but just wrapping it up, my friends invited me to Cuba to see if I want to host my leadership retreats there. Cause they run like a Cuba travel company. And I didn't know who was there. There were about a hundred people there. I came as their guest. And then like third night of the Cuba event, this lovely woman named Natasha was asking me about like self-development books I'd recommend. And, you know, we were just having nice organic conversation. And then after, after about an hour, she said, you know, my husband should really work with you. And I was like, okay, yeah, like happy to talk to him. And then when we got back home and the emails went out from that event, I get an email from her husband and he, his name is Peter Rive. And I didn't Google him beforehand, but then after our initial call and after working together, I realized that he's Elon Musk's cousin and he founded Solar City, which is acquired by Tesla for 2.6 billion. So anyway, it's like these kinds of stories where it's just, it's so out of this world. It's like the kind of thing that you couldn't have been right on a wish list because you're just like, I didn't know it wasn't even on my radar. You know, I didn't know that he was at the event. I didn't know people like that were at the event. So anyway, I think that again, like these things seem supernatural, you know, from this side of things. But when we do the work that I, I try to lay out very clearly and simply in the book, Bending Reality, I do believe we can make the impossible probable. Yeah. And D- Dominica knows this, the, w- exactly what you're talking about. It's the way that I write music. It's the right way that I write books, right? Dominica? Yeah, 100%. Yes. Like I, I, write, <laughs> I write all of my books. I've never spent more than five days writing a book. Yep. I write songs within 24 hours, the complete whole song, everything. Yeah. It's I've, I've always said that I don't write it. It just comes through me. Totally. I felt like the book wrote me exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So tell us, tell us more about your book. So what, what was like the initial inspiration for it? Were people just constantly saying you got to write a book or how did that, how did that transpire? Yeah. You know, it's funny. I have an older brother who's five years older and he, I don't know if you have younger siblings, but I swear he never really listens to what I'm saying. And then (laughs) one day I was telling him about the principles that I ended up writing about in the book and he was so engaged. I've never like heard him more present or quiet or just like asking questions and genuinely curious about what I had to say. And, and then there was a part of me that was like, wow, 
he's really paying attention. Maybe there's something here. And then I even said the words, if I were to write a book today, I guess this is what it would be about. And then I think um, just speaking those words, abracadabra, like made it so. Um, And then I got off the phone with him and immediately I got like the chapter downloads. It was like, I just started writing kind of like 12 chapters came through with the titles and just sort of the subsections of like, this is what the book would be. And I never written a book. So I was like, okay, cool. I feel like I have the the skeleton for this. And then at the time, you know, I thought maybe I'd hire someone because there's all sorts of agencies that will write for you. So then I, I went on to, I think it was Scribe's website where it asked like, what's the book about? And I wrote the little summary blurb of it. And honestly, just like filling out this quick little application to have someone write the book for me inspired the book to come through. Cause then wow. between like submitting the form and then actually hopping on a call with them, I already started the book already started writing me. So I never, I ended up writing it myself because of that, but it is interesting that like we don't realize the the limiting beliefs that can be so uh, subliminal for like why we're not doing something. Cause at the time I was like, well, I'm not a good writer. It's gonna be really hard to write a book. I have to like go off into the cabin forest somewhere and like <laughs> do nothing but write. And yeah. Or, you know, just these stories around it, or it's going to be like really drained. It's not gonna be fun. It's going to be really exhausting. It's going to feel like I'm really yeah, like like forcing something is what I thought. And then I heard someone say that it was really fun to write his book. And then I learned I could hire someone to write my book. And then all of a sudden these quote unquote excuses or these limiting beliefs that kept me from having the flow to be inspired were lifted. And then once I knew someone could write it for me and that it could be fun, it like, it just came through. And so, yeah, it was like five days, about 20 hours and it was actually really fun. And I felt like every day and every night that it wrote me, I was like, just so tapped in. Like it felt like I was a satellite and like almost like consciousness was the internet. And I was able to just like ask questions and get answers like Google, like Googling almost results. And in that phase of the download, it was incredible. I was like, Oh my God, I would go to my romantic partner and ask, like, ask me a question, ask me any question. I feel like I can Google anything I want right now. (laughs) And so in some ways I felt like I was learning as the book was writing me and making sense of things as it was coming out on the page. And, and then every night when I fell asleep, I felt like my body and my nervous system was kind of in training or or conditioning or tuning to the concepts and the principles that came through. So it was like, if I wrote about this concept, then all night I was almost absorbing it and feeling it and embodying the concept. And then I would wake up kind of with like more inspiration. It was almost like it was expanding my bandwidth to take in more is what it felt like. Anyway, yeah, that was a bit about my process. And I... (laughs) And that's, and that's really a state that I, I support my clients to accessing themselves. And I call it the state from which we can bend reality. It's the state at the zero point field in quantum physics, where you can access infinite possibilities and probabilities. And what's there is kind of like your own private inbox. Like, I can't tell you what's going to be waiting for you <laughs> when you get to that state. It's going to be like a surprise to you and everyone, you know, and in some ways it, that's, I think it's really exciting. Like we don't know who we're going to become on the other side of this work. And we also don't know what's going to be waiting for us in this like cool quantum inbox, you know, <laughs> on the other side of accessing the state. <laughs> That's so lovely. I love how you say that the book wrote you. I love that. Mm. It's like, you were just so open with this, all this gratitude and the ethos were like, here it is. <laughs> just pay attention. It's here. I love that. Mm. Thank you. So cool. Yeah. It, it's exactly the same process of how I write. Yeah. Amazing. I love that we're talking about it because I think we're normalizing it, you know, because I actually think this is 
what artists, geniuses, visionaries, this is like the process of innovation. And it is kind of like this umbilical cord or this like connection, whatever you want to call it to the universe or to source or to like the internet of consciousness, collective consciousness, or, or you could just see it as like connecting to your subconscious. You know, there's ideas and insights that are kind of buried away that you don't notice, you know, until you're in these more expanded states of consciousness. So I love that we're normalizing this for your listeners that like, this is a state that you can cultivate. Yeah, absolutely. And if that's something that you don't have the ability to do, or you can't just sit down and for five days or a week and just write, that's okay too. For those of you listening, I, I did not write my book in five days. (laughs) Believe me, Rory wishes I would have, and I didn't. Yeah. (laughs) And yeah, it it looks different for everyone. And I'm sure that you experience synchronicity and serendipity and like divine intervention in your own way, you know, and that's the fun, exciting thing is I call it supernatural abilities because it's all of the above, you know, there are all these different kind of irregularities that rationally don't make sense. You know, like, why did we turn left instead of right? And then like, before we know it, we're like, oh my gosh, that is why I turned left, you know? And it's like the biggest, most important thing happened because of that micro decision that random in the moment. So yeah, I, I, if you read the book, I do think you will get yourself to a state though, that if that's, if that's fun for you, it can be available to you. (laughs) I can't wait to read your book. Even just when I saw the cover, I was like that one, I want to read that one. (laughs) Oh, that makes me so happy to hear. So Mm. when is the, when is the release date? Yeah. So the book officially comes out August 24th and it's distributed by Simon and Schuster. So you can get it wherever books are sold. And in the meantime, I'm as a thank you to anyone pre-ordering the book, I'm offering all sorts of bonus techniques that I actually use with my clients. So for instance, within 15 minutes, you'll have your sense of purpose. So like, why are you here? The ultimate question of like what we're asking ourselves, they're all audio guides. So I walk you through how to just uncover your personal mission statement your values. So how to know what your inner compass is. So you can take aligned action based on your essence and who you are. Again, like when we do things that are an extension of who we are and are in this expansive state, we are more likely able to operate from this place to bend reality. So all these tools are basically ways to connect you to the state. And then I also take people through a guided breath work. If you're familiar with like three-part breath work or Wim Hof, for instance, it's a way to get to these altered states of consciousness where you can also get insights and downloads and process whatever is meant for you. Um, so that's in there. And then, and then I also take people through an, an exercise to release any stress or anxiety that you're feeling. So if there's something that feels blocked or stuck in your system, there is an audio guide that walks you through how to release that. So those are four guides that I'm you know, sharing in gratitude for pre-ordering the book. That's where so can, lovely. Where and can where, our listeners yeah. get that? Where, yeah, where, where can they get it? <laughs> yeah, it's uh, www.victoriasong.me is the website. And then you can click on Bending Reality. And um, that's where you can pre-order it. And as soon as you check out, you'll get the four audio guides. Awesome. Well, I'm definitely going to go pre-order it right now. (laughs) That's my plan. Victoria, thank you so much for spending this time with us. It's been a joy to have you on our show. And I'm sure that so many people are going to be just excited to reach out to you. Just, yeah, this whole conversation has just been so sweet. Rory, anything Mm. else? Yeah, I just want to thank you for doing what you do and for helping entrepreneurs unblock themselves so that they can share their message with the world and, and, and help other people. I really Mm -hmm. appreciate you and what you're doing. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. And it was such a pleasure to be here. I love your energy and this dynamic. It's so fun. (laughs) So life-giving to get to be on your podcast. Thank you. That means a lot. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) 
All right, everyone, that's it for this week. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.